1: If you would, allow me to open this time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. So this fall, we have been working our way through the book of Philippians. And for those who are new with us, let me just give a little backdrop um, or summary of where we've been. Uh, The book of Philippians was a letter written by Paul or the Apostle Paul to this church of Philippi. Well, the church of Philippi, who are they? They were the first church that was planted or started in Europe. And um, moreover, they were a church that Paul deeply loved. And he's writing a love letter, if you will, in the Gospel, in the good news story of Jesus Christ to encourage them to keep up the good fight, if you will. And so today we're looking at a passage known as the Hymn of Christ. There are certain passages that only poetry can capture. And the second half of our passage passage is actually called, historically, the Hymn of Christ, because it's so beautifully a summary of the work of Christ. Our message title today is called, Show Me, and I want to begin this time with a simple question. Have you ever noticed how families can fight over the smallest things? Have you ever noticed how families can fight over the smallest things? Now I need some audience participation here. Does anyone know what this is? There's a picture on the screen. Mickey Ramey. Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan. Has anyone in here played this board game Settlers of Catan? Raise your hand. Okay, so Settlers of Catan um, is kind of a mixture between Monopoly and a game called Risk. And I was introduced to it from my brother's family I know a lot of the hipsters, the millennials are into this game. And um, I learned it from my brother. And I, I discovered playing this game, and I married someone from Minnesota, and if you're from Minnesota, half the year you play board games because it's so cold, you can't go outside. And seriously, Christmas Day is filled with about eight hours of board games. Um, so. So, anyway, settlers of Catan, in playing this game, I discovered there are different characters around the table or in families that play this game. First, we've got the competitor, right? The competitor is the person saying, You want to play a board game? Right? And they don't have to be loud, they can be quiet. Let me let me do a little test of how well you know my marriage. Who's more competitive in the board game arena? My wife, Carly, or me? Carly Vellner Sorensen. She's ferocious, and you don't want to cross her. I'll get to that in a minute. So you've got the competitor, and then you've got the connector. The connector is someone that just wants to create community, if you will, around a board game. And they're just in it for relationship purposes. I probably fall more in line with the connector uh, role and just think about your own families. You've got some that just love to be together, love relationship. Of course, then each family, whether it's you know, direct or indirect, there's the easy roller. Right? There's an easy roller who is just there like to have a good time. Uh, they're there to have fun. They compete. They connect. They don't really care if they win. They're so laid back if things go up or down. They're like, guys, cool. It. We're, t- we're just having fun here. And we have an easy roller on the stage that has brown hair and curly hair. His name's Trenton Durham right here. He's what you would call an easy roller. And last but not least, you have the chatterbox, okay? The chatterbox is the person that, I don't even think they're playing the game because they're talking so much. (laughs) They're overwhelming the room because they chat, 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 talk, talk, talk. And I don't know if they're talking with people, but they're definitely talking at people, right? They're the ones that are so excited to be together, they just can't stop talking. Well, things can turn uh, sideways, right? And we can fight over the smallest things, even playing board games. The first kind of night I learned to play this board game, Settlers of Catan, by the end of the night, my wife had these words to say to me. I'm not talking to you right now. And, And here's the deal. It took us a while to define our roles. And she's now accepted that she loves me, except when we play board games. And then she just wants to walk all over me. And we've had several times where she's like, you're trading more fairly with that person than me. Or, and I'm like, babe, I love you. I, I didn't realize it. Yes, you did. I think I might have been kicked out of the bedroom one night. She's like, she's shaking her head yes, see? And so I'm still recovering from that, being married to a competitor. You know what's interesting though is when the chatterbox wins. Because how can that happen? The chatterbox doesn't even know the rules and they're just talking, right? And so recently, this week, my wife got a call from her sister uh, about this very thing. Her sister, um, they live in Minnesota and they're playing Settlers of Catan with uh, Carly's parents. And Carly's mother is a chatterbox. Okay, And recently, a couple different times, they've been playing Settlers of Catan, and you've got the, the competitor, the connector, the easy roller, and they look up, and they're like, Kim, which is Carly's mom, like, you, you've won. And um, wait, you, you not only have 10 to win, you, you, you have 12 points. And in her Minnesota accent, oh, you don't say it! You don't. Say, oh my goodness! You betcha! Oh, <laughs> in ser- true story. But here's the thing: the competitor can't wrap their brain around this because that can't happen. How's a chatterbox who doesn't know the rules and isn't following? They win. But sometimes it happens. Division creeps in. You know, it's funny in families—not just you know, families in the home, but families in the church. We see division creep in. And that's what Paul has in mind when he's writing this uh, passage today. Um, You know, as we've started this church, I've noticed this dynamic creep in even with this church. Some of the feedback I've gotten in love is, hey, this church is too formal for me. You do communion and these kind of old prayers. And then I've had others say, this church is too informal for me. You meet in a co-working space that you guys launched? Like, none of that makes sense. Or, this church is too direct for me. Uh, Aaron Pinnell, who's at the first service, he's like, sometimes, Paul, you read like a whole passage of the Bible during the reading. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, but people keep coming back! I was like, yeah. Some people are saying you're too direct. Some are saying you're too indirect. We've actually had people leave our church because they thought we should have crosses in scripture on the walls they, they want it like bl- blatantly clear this is a church and look I that's from their point of view. you know Paul's too formal, he wears the navy blue blazer he's too informal. he wears jeans with that blazer. Can you imagine? And the littlest things creep in the families, don't they? And here's what Paul is saying in this passage he's saying this if you know Jesus, you will show Jesus serving others as He served us. Let me repeat that. If you know Jesus, you will show Jesus serving others as He served us. And so what we're, what we're going to do over the next few minutes is just unpack this little statement. Beginning with this. If you know Jesus. Brooke read these words. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy dot 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 what paul is saying is if you can say yes to any of these things that's the basis for what i'm about to tell you you know another way of looking at this is paul begins this passage chapter 2 of philippians by calling out christians or should i say paul calls out christ in christians There's four markers or four motivations from knowing Jesus to then showing him. Number one, any encouragement. Number two, any comfort. Number three, any participation. And number four, any affection and sympathy. Another translation says any tenderness or compassion. Let me tell you what this means in a very personal way from the words of the, basically, the words of Christ and what we learn from the Bible. And just reflect on this as you hear this. Do you have any encouragement? Have you ever, in your engagement with the Word or engagement with church, our church or another church, come to the point where you've heard God say to you, I am for you. Frank, I'm for you. Faith, I'm for you. Think about all the Scriptures that pack that in. The the idea is... I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to strengthen you. Paul is saying, do you know that? Number two, any comfort. This idea that God loves you. Jesus says, I love you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John, we read, God is love, therefore. And it goes on about sending His Son. What Paul is saying is, do you know this love, this comfort? He goes on, any participation, this idea that I'm with you. You know, as Jesus was leaving the earth, he gave these words to the disciples, Lo, I'm with you to the very ends of the ages. We read elsewhere, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What Paul is saying is, do you know that? And if you know that, listen up. (laughs) And last but not least, any affection or any compassion or tenderness from knowing Jesus. The idea that He's patient with you, John. He's merciful with you, Blake. And that mercy spills over again and again and again. What Paul is asking is, friends, do you know Him? Can you answer yes to any of these questions? Have you ever experienced any encouragement? any comfort, any participation, any tenderness? If the answer is yes, then you know what it's like to receive some of God's grace. And here's the point. The basis of your grace to others is God's grace in you. If you're going to know Him, then you can show Him, and that's our calling but you can only show Him if you know Him. You can only extend that grace to others with you know, the way you've received it yourself. That encouragement, comfort, partnership, etc. So number one, if you know Jesus, then we shift to number two. If you know Jesus, you will show Jesus. We read these words. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Confession time. Uh, I like sunsets, and I like sappy movies. My wife actually makes fun of how much I like sunsets. Um, The Rameys can attest to sometimes I wake up before dawn, and I take my paddleboard and I take pictures of the sun. My wife thinks I'm crazy. She's like, You need your sleep. And I say, I need my sunsets, right? And, you know, I like sappy movies as well, occasionally. There's this movie called La La Land. I like it. Others don't. That's okay. Who likes it? Give me a witness. Okay, thank you. I'm not alone in this room. You know, La La Land's one of those movies. Another movie, I hate to admit it, but I kind of liked it, was a weird movie called Jerry Maguire back in the 90s. Y'all remember that movie? So the movie is about a sports agent, okay? Tom Cruise. And he ends up leaving the big firm and starting his own firm, and then the process falls in love with this woman, Renee Zellweger, and he turns to her at one point in the movie, and he says... Is that what he says? That's what she says. See, I'm not. Okay, listen. He says, You complete me. Chris Yego for the win. And she says, You had me in love. He says, You complete me. And I thought, Oh my gosh, there's the golden nugget I need to love my wife well. And unfortunately, that's absolutely terrible marriage advice. And I'm sure I said it to Carly. And actually, it's a terrible advice to launching and leading a church. What Paul has in mind here is not that we face one another and we figure it out facing one another, but he's saying face the one as the one church or as this family. Face the one who's the source of love as one body, as one couple, as one church. I learned early in my marriage that if I tried to find my fulfillment through my relationship with Carly, I would actually fracture the relationship. I'd put so much pressure on her that she'd run, and I'd leave super frustrated. And we did this cycle over and over again. But somehow, early in our marriage, reading Philippians, Our direction, I think we had an illumination, if you will, where I realized when we face each other and when we're fighting each other, even over the smallest things, we're actually talking at each other and actually looking past each other. What the Bible is saying is look as one to the one. Have a singular gaze as a couple. Have a singular gaze as a church. And in him, find the completeness of joy in love, having the same love, having the same mind. And we get this wrong over and over again. Um, what, what I like more than just this idea of turning towards the one is how we do it. Um, let me get over here, excuse me. We read these words, being in full accord and of one mind. That language right there can translate as souls together. Be souls together. Another way of saying that is be harmonious with one another. When I think of harmony, I think of Trenton and Brooke, classically trained musicians. A conductor was once asked, what's the hardest position to fill in in your orchestra? Is it the first violinist chair? And he said, no, actually it's not. It's the second violinist chair, because that's the person that provides the harmony for the whole. And what Paul is saying here, in a positive way, is continue what has started in you, being whole together, looking at Christ together, having singular gaze, harmonious lives. And it's not like, I know we have some Star Wars fans in here. Let me tell you what this is not saying. It's not saying be whitewashed like stormtroopers where you're marching out together and it's real stale it's real controlled that's not what paul has in mind here he's saying be who you are but be who you are in christ together and through that color and through that harmony you'll find oneness and you'll display oneness he goes on do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Another way of looking at this, when he says selfish ambition ambition or conceit, he's saying don't live for empty glory. Don't look for your identity in your power, in your possessions, in your positions, or your prestige. That will lead to emptiness and empty glory. But he goes on to say, value others, lift others up, build them up. So again, he's emphasizing the positive. So what does this look like for us? For those here who are serving on connect teams, in our church, you want to hear something amazing? We have 198 people serving on our serve teams right now per month. You know why? Because they're committed and we're committed to building one another up. So when you are at the newcomer's table, when you're welcoming people at the door, when you're offering them coffee, you're offering a sense of encouragement, comfort, commitment, partnership. And that's what Paul has in mind here. He's saying build off that. Do that. Value others. Breathe life into others even when they don't feel like they deserve it. In the words of Walter Hansen, a theologian, he writes, instead of being preoccupied with introspective, self-absorbed, egocentric thoughts, the mind turns outward to regard the value of others. So what Paul is saying is, if you know Jesus, show Jesus by building others up. And last but not least, we see if you know Jesus, you will show Jesus serving others as He served us. How did He serve us? Never has our world seen such humility. And never has our world needed such humility. You see, in Jesus, we find a king on a cross without his crown. He went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And Paul is saying, have this in mind for you. He did this For you, it's not about hubris, it's about humility. If you know him, show him as he showed himself for you and did this for you. In writing about the cross, can't use, another theologian had these words to say, Humanity had not created a more degrading or loathsome experience than this. Polite Roman society considered the mention of the cross to be an obscenity. Nothing could be lower. And yet He, Jesus, became shame and scandal for us. How far did Jesus go to serve us? He went to the cross. And we read, Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ. And therefore, God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Kent Hughes, looking at this passage, finishes by writing these words Christ Jesus has a lot of names. To highlight a few, he's called Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the almighty, the ancient of days, the door the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the word, the light, the lamb, the bread of life, the rock, the bridegroom, and the alpha and the omega. So what then is this mysterious name? In Philippians 2, the name that is above every name. What name is this, he asked. Well, Paul concludes by saying, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's the curious. Let me unpack this just a little bit so you know the power in this declaration. The Jews of the Old Testament were scared to death to say the name of the Lord Yahweh out loud. So they started writing the name of the Lord down. And when they went to translate the Old Testament from Hebrew into the Greek in the 3rd century B.C., what name do you think they used to translate Yahweh when they did the translation. Curios Lord. In fact, the Jews used this word for Yahweh over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. In the Septuagint. The Greek translation there. What Paul is saying is, this isn't just love that's come down. This is the Lord that's come down and He's the name above all names at which every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And those Jews would know that exact language because the prophetic promise in Isaiah 45, we read, I am the Lord and there's no other. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul is saying, this is the one. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh in the flesh, who's come down for you and for me. Have this in mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you know Him, show Him as He poured out His love for you. And then God lifted Him up above all. You see, in a world that says, make a name for yourself, Paul concludes this passage by saying, There's only one name which is to be lifted high, and that's Jesus Christ. So to summarize, if you know Jesus, Paul says you'll show Jesus, will show Jesus, serving others as He served us. So where do you find yourself today? Do you know His comfort? Do you know His encouragement? Let me ask it a different way. Do you need His comfort and do you need His encouragement for something today? Paul is saying in a fresh way, say yes. You need this grace to wash over you and to fill you. And then for others, we know Jesus, but we're so caught up in our own lives. And it's time, individually and collectively as a church, we show Him. We we wake up in the mornings, and I don't know what your marital situation is like, your friendship situation is like, but we wake up and we say, I have the, the privilege of knowing Him today, and I can show Him today to whomever I come across. I can show Him in our community group. I can show Him at the Hog and Harvest Fest. I can show Him during our prayer time in the back in just a minute. I can show Him in the school, PCA, Daniel Island School, Oceanside, wherever God has placed you, we have an opportunity to show Him together. And if we do that, we'll lift up the name of the one above all names, Jesus. So I invite you today to know him and to show him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just am so thankful that you comfort us, you encourage us, you partner with us, and you're tender towards us. God, maybe today is the first time someone wants to say, yes, I need that, I want that, I believe that. If that is the case, I just invite you silently to say, yes, Lord. To turn and to trust Him. God, we want to know you and we want to show you as a church to one another, to our families, our workplaces, our city, our world. God, use us to build bridges, to offer comfort, to have a singular gaze, make us one And make us like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.